against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. That ends the reading of God's Word. At this time, children ages 18 months through kindergarten are dismissed to the landing. Good morning, faith family at the landing. What a joy to worship the Lord with you today. Let's continue worshiping over the Word. Pray with me as I ask for God's help to do that right now in a supernatural way. Father in heaven, through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I come asking that you fulfill 1 Corinthians 14, 1, that we and I eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that I might prophesy. I'm asking for gifts of evangelism and teaching. I'm asking for gifts of discernment and wisdom for all hearers. And I'm asking for the gift of prophecy in order that the powerful word of God might rise and pierce and, and comfort and encourage in a unique supernatural way as you promise the gift of prophecy will do for your church. I pray that unbelievers would be drawn to faith. I pray that the lost would be found. I pray that the dead would be made alive. I pray that the confused would be given direction. I pray that the weak would be strengthened in you. I pray that those uh, who are under conviction would be freed from shame and guilt and set free to live and love and serve with a bold tongue and a happy heart and a broad embrace. Lord, do 10,000 more wonderful things through the preaching of Ephesians 6, your perfect, inerrant, holy, living word, and even through my frail, broken, weak attention and declaration of it. Now, come Lord Jesus. Watch over this flock. Bless Paul when he preaches next Sunday. Bless Andrew when he preaches the Sunday after. Bless these people. My family, Cole's family, this church faith family, while we're away. And bring us back in safe condition, maximized to bear witness to the praise and honor of our global God. We worship you, Lord, now in this very important first Lord's Day of 2024. Speak to us for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. On this first day of 2024, I have three reasons, aims, why I chose Ephesians chapter 6. Here they are. The first one is it's the conclusion, the climax of Prayer Week 2024. Almost. Because tomorrow night, Prayer Week continues. And the coolest thing is Prayer Week continues in not this building or one of the homes, but prayer week is going to be gathering in the food court at the mall. Isn't that a great place to gather for prayer? Can you imagine the revival that's going to happen to prayer week 2025 if Chick-fil-A moves into the food court? 
Everybody's going to want to go to prayer week 2024. It's in the food court. So glad it's there. Flock the food court Monday night with the people of the landing praying for not only the people that go to the mall, but the people of Duluth and Superior that they would feed on the food the world knows not of. Second reason for Ephesians 6, it's not only the climax of prayer week. I also want to commend to you the idea of praying as the muscle that wields the sword of the spirit. So I'm going to point to you an insight I've seen over and over from Ephesians 6, especially verse 18, that says the word of God is powerful and is the fuel, the content, the script of our prayer that we take up with the muscle praying. You'll see that as we look at the passage more clearly. That's my second reason that this might be definitive for you, that you might take the Bible as your guide, as your fuel, as your gasoline, as it were, to pour into the fires of your faith. You might ingest daily with many of us, morning and night, the word of God, if you haven't already made that your daily practice. Third, as it been alluded to several times, I want to ask each of you to pray for myself and my family, Cole Grace and his family, as we at the end of the week, Lord willing, leave out of Duluth, Minneapolis, through Munich, Krakow, Poland and Lviv, Ukraine, in order to minister the word of God and to be ministered to by seminary students and pastors in Ukraine. We go with no political confusions or agenda. We go with the singular aim and purpose of strengthening the church in Ukraine. And we pray that even in the strengthening of the church in Ukraine, we might serve to strengthen the church in Russia. Amen. It's the global God that we serve. Who, as we sang, has won men, women and children from every tribe, tongue, people and race. Ephesians is one of the most glorious books in the New Testament. Chapters 1 through 3 are like flying among the galaxies. High and glorious thoughts about eternity past and how it impacts the present and eternity future and how they inform each other all under God's perfectly designed plan. And the Bible doesn't just make that an argument to consider. It makes it a glory to celebrate. Don't shrink back in, in waiting for it to all make sense to you. No, no, no. It's a glory to celebrate. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says in Ephesians 1, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. See why I say it's a space tour among the galaxies? Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So you're George Jetson. Jump in your bubble-covered flying saucer with your dog Astro. And you're flying out through all the unsearchable glories of God in heaven. Blessing upon blessing in the heavenly places. Joy upon joy. Grace upon grace. Goodness upon goodness. Everything that God is into infinity, he will say, let me show you. And it will take forever. The space tour does not leave you unchanged, but in fact, transforms you from the inside out. Your eyes become opened. And instead of looking at God through black and white sepia, now you look at God through 8K billions of colors. Ephesians 1.18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, 
that you may be able to know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Ephesians 1 through 3 is this galactic space journey, past, present and future, determined by God's perfect plan for our enjoyment and for our infinite Blessing. And then chapters four, five and six, eternity breaks into time, pouring blessing into our lives. And and the commands that are given there in four and five are commands to open our arms wide and receive all the blessing like banks on a river, letting the, the wonderful tsunami of God's blessings rush down upon us. Christ descends to the lower regions, as chapter four says, all the way down to where we live to give gifts to men. He brings the father's glory and the power of the Holy Spirit to beautify his bride, the one for whom he died and gives his life for in chapter five. He tells us then these commands, which are meant to be the 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 rushing of a river of pleasure, thick and fast. The commands are the very banks and the bed on which the river flows. Put off the old self. Put on the new. Be angry. Do not sin. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Be kind to one another. So from stratospheric celestial glory comes a life of beauty, holiness and purity and power purchased by and mirroring the Lord Jesus Christ. All in the obeying of these many commands given in chapters four, five and six. But there's a war. In fact, life is war. You might be feeling it in your heart right now. You might be feeling it getting up this morning. You might be feeling it as you went to bed last night or feeling it in your body or feeling it in your finances or feeling it in your relationships at work or at home or with your extended family. Life is war. You might feel spiritually attacked. Chapter six. Has this glorious picture the climax of the letter, Paul says, finally, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He combines three weighty terms together. Strong, be strong, a verb in the strength, a noun of his might, a noun. And, and all three massive ver, uh, terms come together to show that he means for the church to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, because life is war, your own flesh Weakness within your constitution, the world around us and the lies and attacks of the enemy all compounding against us to buffet us and beat us and say, quit acting like you're so holy. You're a phony. God doesn't love you anymore. You've sinned just one time too many. Out of grace and mercy, it's as if Paul knows what we're battling and he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you how. Let me tell you. So what is the outcome? It's almost as if he knows the kinds of questions our deepest inner thoughts are asking. Why? How? And so what? Why? The answer is because victory is achieved by God's strength alone. How? The answer to how is 
Stand firm in gospel armor. That's how. And the answer to so what is own your new identity. You are an ambassador in chains. Let's look at those first. Be strong in the strength of the Lord. Verse 10. And in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Verse 11. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Be strong in God's strength. Be strong, not in your own strength. Confess and acknowledge your weakness. The beginning to being strong in God's strength is to come to him saying, Lord, I'm weak. I've got nothing to offer you but my need. I've got nothing to bring you. I've got no virtue, no education, no experience. I've got no willpower, no moral resolve. I need you, Lord. I'm weak. Oh, the freedom in confessing that before the Lord. Oh, the self-delusion for every person who resists confessing it. Peter says it this way to those he's writing in his letter to in first Peter, chapter four, verse 10, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as God, good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Serve in the strength that God supplies, Peter says, exactly what Paul is saying here. It captures what David long ago Centuries before said in his famous Psalm 18, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. How I've been praying those verses for Cole and me as we think about traveling to Ukraine. God's strength needed for for every human being is the beginning of. Of the Christian life, it's the admission of my weakness and the enemy's attack and the and the harm that the world around me seeks to do against me as a believer. And we go to the Lord and say, Lord, life is hard, but you are strong. Please help me be strong in you. Paul knows that when he gives these commands in chapters four and five, that it's not just Physical limitations that keep us from obeying those commands. It's spiritual attack that keeps us from obeying those commands. When you and I find it hard to pursue unity as a church or forgive as Christ has forgiven or put away immorality and impurity or be thankful in all circumstances or submit to our employers or when a wife finds it difficult to submit to the godly leadership of her husband or when children find it hard to submit to the loving discipline of their parents. It's not merely a human battle, he says. It's a spiritual battle. Oh, that we all have eyes to see. This is the spiritual battle happening in my body or in my home or in my relationships, in my work, in my creating, in my obedience. It says, seek the Lord's strength. Because you and I often feel weak and inadequate and therefore we must pray. What a gift. What a gift to recognize how weak and inadequate you are. Because that's the prelude to genuine, sweet prayer. Lord, I need you. I don't deserve you, but I need you. Please help me write this sermon. Please help me wake up and and preach it. Please help me as I 
uh, obey all the commands you've given to me. You say, Lord, please help me as I carry out every task of this Lord's Day Sunday or every task of the Monday to follow or every task that lies before me. I commit to the Lord and ask for his strength when I feel my weakness and my inadequacy. Then I pray if you're feeling strong, self-reliant and competent. Pray all the harder because you're self-deluded. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Why be strong in the strength of the Lord? Because we are weak and we are in a battle with hordes of demons bent on our destruction. Second question, how do we do it? Verses 13 through 18. How to fight in the strength that God supplies? Here it is. This is how strength comes into your life. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can distinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. How do we stand firm? How do we appropriate and receive the strength of God? We put on the whole armor of God, just like you get up in the morning and put on clothes to be warm and protected. We put on the whole armor of God daily. We're born again and grown into the Christian faith without the armor of God on. Have you ever noticed that? It's a command to put on, to take up and own to ourselves the whole armor of God. Paul here is alluding surely to Isaiah 59, 17, where the servant of the Lord, a, a, a prophetic foretaste of Jesus Christ, is said to be putting on the same items. Listen to Isaiah 59. He, the servant of the Lord, the suffering servant, put on righteousness as a breastplate, helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Now we are called to put on, to take up, in verse 11 and also verse 13, this whole armor of God. It's not the taking up and putting on the way an actor puts on a tuxedo and then goes out to, to do a play pretending to marry another actress. That's just pretend. Paul's not calling us to hypocrisy here. He's not calling us to put on something outwardly and say, praise the Lord anyhow. No, no. He's asking us to put on, wear and own, take up and receive to ourselves. That's what these Greek verb me, verbs mean in verse 11 and verse 13. So that it changes who we are inside and it reveals outwardly who we are on the inside. It's more like an astronaut going up into space and needing a life-giving suit to wear in order to survive. It's more like an identity of a man who actually puts on appropriate wedding clothing and a bride who actually puts on a wedding dress and they get married because they are, in fact, becoming husband and wife. It's a new identity, as we'll see in a moment. That's what happens when we put on the whole armor of God. It actually is meant for believers to say, 
This isn't just a formulaic sort of mystical prayer you pray where you quote this verse out of Ephesians 6. It's actually owning the gospel to yourself. This is the like you put on clothes every day, the putting on of the gospel in your life every day. And here is the secret to the Christian life. The in Christ life is found right here. When you say I'm going to put on the belt of truth, I'm saying I'm going to live my life according to the truth of everything Jesus has said. It's where I am going to put my whole life together and it's going to hold me firm and it's going to hold me strong The belt of truth. He's the way, the truth and the life. He said, I'll know the truth. It'll set me free. This belt is my defining piece of garment that I wear. I will put on the breastplate of righteousness. Why? Because my heart is cleansed by the righteousness of Christ. And I bear or wear his righteousness as he gave it to me, dying on the cross and dying in my place. I stand against the lies of the enemy. The enemy says, you're not righteous. You're just faking it. You're just really good at lying to people. And you say, no, I'm wearing the breastplate of righteousness. Christ has called me righteous and he is causing me to grow in living that righteousness out day by day. I put on the shoes of the gospel of peace, which first means I have peace with God because I'm justified in him. Romans 5, 1. And it means I'm free to go make peace with others and point them to the peace of God by the shoes that I wear. It readies my feet to walk. And how beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. I take up the shield of faith. On my arm. And when the devil shoots a flaming dart of lies and attack and accusation against me, I put up my faith in God and I say, I believe God is real. Die, enemy dart. I put on the helmet of salvation and I have knowledge and confidence and I read and I remember and I memorize and I fill my mind renewing, renewing, renewing my mind always so that I know that I know. That I know that Christ died on the cross and he's real, that God rules in heaven and he's real, that the spirit dwells in me and he's real and that I'm no phony. I'm a loved, saved believer in the living God through Jesus Christ. That's what the helmet of salvation reminds me of. Then I take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I read it morning and night. I meditate on it. I say, Lord. Your word is perfectly sufficient for every task and question and need of life. How will I apply everything in your word to my life? How will I apply it appropriately, safely, humbly, not adding meaning to it nor taking any away? as so commonly done, but rather as it was intended by its original author. How am I living out the word of God? The picture that we're given in verse 18, and I alluded to this earlier, is that Paul continues picturing the sword of the spirit as the Bible that believers with their armor take up and they hold it with the muscular arm of prayer. Praying at all times is how they take up the word of God. Your prayer life. Is powerless when all it is, is you sitting down and thinking of things to say. I wouldn't pray hardly at all if that's the way my prayer life was. I wouldn't think of hardly anything to say, and I wouldn't even be sure of what I was thinking of pleased God. I have to have Bible in my head, and then I pray Bible verses back to God. 
This is why it's worthwhile you, either with a printed version or in your tablet or phone or computer, getting a Bible program that reminds you to read the Bible at least once every day, if not twice. Loading, 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 packing the gunpowder of the Bible into your head so that when it's time to explode in prayer, you've got power. It's almost like many Christians try to live their Christian life the way our houses are when the power goes out. Pull a cord, start the generator. That's the power of my Christian life, and I putter. When the Bible says, be strong in the strength of the Lord, plug the cord of your spiritual house into a star, say. Infinite power. Wield the sword in the power of prayer by packing the Bible into your head, heart and mind, memorizing, meditating, marinating in the Bible so that you have it at the ready for every moment of prayer. You see, the very nature of the armor of God is you saying, I need to live in the gospel every day. I'm glad I go to a church that the songs and the preaching and the teaching and the praying puts the gospel in front of everybody every Sunday morning. That's our theme. The world can go to hell in a handbasket. We're not going to make public or political issues our theme here. You can hear the gospel every Sunday. But what about your life? Do you make sure the gospel is saturated in your thinking every day? Do you talk about the gospel with the people in your family and at work and online? Is the gospel your defining mark every day? May it be so. Put on the whole armor of God. You know the reason why we wear clothes. (laughs) I've never said that in a sermon before. Do you know the reason why we wear clothes? Yes, warm and protection. Yes, yes. But it's basically confession. Adam and Eve didn't need them until they sinned. And then there had to be sacrifices of animals and the clothes had to remind them, you people are guilty. Now you've done it. God's going to forgive you through the seed of you, the woman. Millennia later. But he's a kind God. He's going to forgive you now and let you live based on the value of your seed. Millennia later, Jesus. So put on your animal skins as a confession. We haven't pleased God very well. We're guilty before him. Clothes are a confession. Mainly. Mainly. When you put on the whole armor of God, you're saying, Jesus, it really was good you died in my place. I needed you to do that. I have no way to get to heaven. I have no way to please God. I have no way to live eternally without condemnation if you hadn't died for me. To give me the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, and the sword of the Spirit. I take them up confessing that for me to be strong in you means I need the gospel every day, just like I need clothes. So what? So we become a new person. 
We get a new identity. Look at how Paul talks in verse 19 and 20. And also for me, pray for me, wield the sword of the spirit, praying for me, that the words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul was in a Roman prison at the time, maybe feet in stocks, maybe a chain uh, at his neck, maybe on his wrists. He was able to write. He was hungry. He was cold. He had endured starvation and mistreatment, rats, animals, probably. The only food he had was what was delivered to him by friends. There was no food program in the Roman jail. He was hurting. He was supposedly under criminal accusation. In fact, he was meant to be under shame, but he had rejected all the shame. He comes into that moment while in Rome and he writes to the Ephesians this glorious letter of high and lofty thoughts. Can you imagine thinking the thoughts of Ephesians 1 while you're sitting in chains? He calls himself here an ambassador in chains, not because they needed to know that he had chains on. They all knew that already. He's actually giving himself an identity. He's actually saying, as I wear these chains, I am an ambassador of another sovereign, another citizenry in heaven. I bear and I come to this place in order that I might, through the ministry of gospel proclamation, proclaim amnesty and freedom and forgiveness from the mighty sovereign, the Lord Jesus Christ, who rules over all cities, states and nations. I'm an ambassador in chains. Ambassadors in Paul's day walked around with fine clothing and they went to fine events and they ate fine food. They wore a chain around their neck and it was a very clear, big, bold statement chain with a seal on it showing the place from which they hailed their their uh, state or city or nation seal that represented them as from that other place that they are representing now in Rome or whatever city they lived in. And it gave them a, a status of honor. So Paul says with irony, even with humor, I'm an ambassador in chains. No, I don't eat the finest of food. No, my clothing is rags. And these chains are hardly what anyone would boast about. But he comes to, to own the fact that while he's in a Roman prison writing to the Ephesians, he himself has put on the whole armor of God. That's how he can call himself an ambassador in chains. He says, essentially, I've been crucified with Christ, as he wrote to the Galatians. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul isn't saying, boy, I can't wait to get out of this Roman jail so I can continue my ministry. No, his being in the Roman jail was his ministry. It's his identity as an ambassador in chains. And he says in 2 Corinthians 5, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. When we come in our weakness and we identify with Christ in his death. We say we're citizens of another nation. We find ourselves joining with Paul and saying we too are ambassadors in chains. And I need to put on the whole armor of God 
every single day in order that the gospel might define the way I have this difficult phone call or answer this difficult text. Or deal with this difficult piece of health news or face this difficult challenge financially. Or deal with those recurring thoughts of shame and condemnation, even frustration and anger and bitterness that want to creep in every time you give yourself a half second of meditation and quietness. Maybe you're not like me. (laughs) Maybe none of that's true for you. It is for me. I need not only the whole armor of God to make me strong in the Lord, but I need to know who I am. I need to know who I am. I'm an ambassador in chains for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what my wife and my daughter and my son and his wife need most from me. That's what my friends and this church family needs most from me. And that's what my enemies need most from me. That's what God has done to transform me. So I end this way. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might because we are weak apart from him and because enemies attack. How? By daily clothing ourselves in the gospel armor of God. For what? So that we might be who we are in Christ, ambassadors in chains for the reconciliation of the world to God and God to the world. I would request that you, my precious faith family at the landing, whom I love so deeply, pray for Paul as he preaches next Sunday, pray for Pastor Andrew as he preaches the Sunday after that, and pray for Cole and I as we leave at the end of the week from here to Ukraine, minister there for several days and return home as God provides safely. Pray for Ruth Ann and all of Cole and Ruth Ann's family. Pray for Kath and Ruthie and all of my family. Pray that the blessing doesn't merely accrue to the Ukrainians, but spreads to the Russians and beyond. Pray that the blessing adds to Cole and me. Pray that the blessing is added to this faith family as well. Did you notice this phrase that Paul inserted at the end? He says, pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. What does he mean by the mystery of the gospel? Why did he insert that here? Well, if you remember from your reading of Ephesians three, you might remember verse eight where he defines the mystery to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles The unsearchable riches of Christ to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So mystery there in Ephesians three is this massive plan. This global covering of the earth with the glory of the Lord by grace deeper than the Pacific Ocean at the Marianas Trench, seven miles. Deeper than when the earth was flooded in Noah's day, will the earth be covered with the grace and the glory of the Lord. Gentiles of every tribe, tongue, people and nation, Jews who to this day in mass mostly reject Jesus as their Messiah. Save for a precious few who trusted him. Peoples yet to be born will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved.
such that every tribe, tongue, people, and nation will be represented in God's heaven. Mystery is a, a word, code in Paul's term for the bigness of grace. That's what mystery means. It's the bigness of grace. So he ends by saying, pray that I would open my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, the vastness of grace. How vast is the grace of God for you and me as we come to the Lord's table? How vast beyond all measure. There's no sin you've ever committed that is too grave for him to not cover with grace to forgive. There is no person who's beyond his touch and saving arm. There is no need too deep and complicated for him to clarify and unravel. There is no sin repeated too many times that he loses patience.